How many of you noticed we were low in attendance today? Some of you did. I noticed too. And I actually think for our first day of our new Sunday school format, it may have been a good thing in the providence of God. Not that we like low attendance. Uh, we had a number of folks sick, a number of folks, I think I counted a half dozen families gone traveling. My dad gave me a piece of information years ago that has helped me. He said, son, people need vacations. And by the way, pastors need them every once in a while too, preachers do. But people need vacations. And he said, and don't begrudge it. <laughs> Summer and winter time when people need a vacation and they take it. So uh, all that to say, I'm glad you're here. And so join me, if you would, Ruth chapter 1 this evening in your Bibles, and we'll jump right into a familiar two verses, uh, Ruth chapter 1 and verse number 16. The scene is Orpah has just uh, retreated back to Moab on the strong recommendation of Naomi. Naomi is continuing to try to pressure Ruth to go back in verse number 16, and Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee. Or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. By the way, they had no idea where they were going to be staying. We'll talk about a tremendous statement of faith. I will, or thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee. And me. One commentator I read said of that statement, the Lord do so to me. It's uh, their way of saying, the Lord deal with me if I don't keep this commitment. I would like to preach a message this evening as we think about the first Sunday of the year, the first day of the new year, a message entitled Christian Commitment and how Ruth demonstrates that to us. Let's pray. Father, would you help us tonight to be challenged as we begin this new year, to be challenged uh, as believers, uh, for our uh, faithfulness to you, our commitment to you and to your people, and a God that we would understand tonight at a, a new, a fresh level, the power that uh, the commitment of one believer can have, uh, the impact that it can have in uh, not just uh, uh, the circumstances of life, that individual circumstances, but even for generations to come, when one believer completely sells themselves out to the Lord and are committed to Him, the impact that that can have uh, in their generation and generations to come. So God, stir our hearts about this this evening, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 16 and 17 in many ways could be considered the pivotal text of the entire book of Ruth. Think about this. With everything that has just happened... Orpah has just gone back. Naomi has the pressure on Ruth to go back. Imagine if verses 16 and 17 were extracted from the entire book of Ruth. It unravels the whole story. And so this is why Bible commentators and students for a long time have understood these two verses to be the pivotal uh, verses of this entire book, really the linchpin, two small verses that hold the entire thing together. You remove Ruth's commitment to move forward with Naomi, and I don't even want to think about how history would be different. Okay. 
And so I want us this evening to understand the transforming power of Christian commitment to Christ and others. You say, Pastor, this is an Old Testament book. It's a really good Old Testament book. And remember this, from the very beginning, Ruth, as a Gentile believer, becomes an Old Testament picture of the New Testament bride of Christ, the Gentile church. And Boaz, the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish groom. So there is tremendous New Testament application. These things were written aforetime for our learning. Okay, these are examples for us. And so Ruth's commitment is a tremendous example and compelling motivation to us. And I want us to think of it in this way. Your commitment as a believer has profound potential. So may I just say it very colloquially, let's be all in for Jesus Christ this year. What an example we have in Ruth, leaving family and land behind, facing potentially a life of widowhood and childlessness, being a Moabite widow going back. The chances of a Jewish young man wanting to be her groom were slim. Naomi implied that. She was going back to an unknown land or going to an unknown land, an unknown language, an unknown people, an unknown culture. And she basically, in her confession of commitment to Ruth, or to Naomi, pardon me, promises she's never going back to Moab. Where do we get that from? Notice what she says, where thou diest, I will die. Think of the time frame. Naomi being older is likely going to precede Ruth in death. When Naomi dies, Ruth is left alone theoretically. The human response would generally be, I fulfilled my commitment to Naomi, I'm going home to Moab. But the very fact that she says what she says is indicative of the fact that her loyalty was not just to Naomi, her greater loyalty was to the God of Naomi. And that was the foundation of her commitment. May I say that is the foundation of every worthy Christian commitment. 50% of all New Year's resolutions have to do with physical fitness. I will not ask for a raise of hands of any who've already made one. I will tell you this, we cleaned our garage on Friday so I could get to the elliptical. (laughs) Twenty-five percent of all New Year's resolutions make it through the first week of January and then die, DOA. Forty-three percent of New Year's resolutions make it one month, and by February 1, they too are DOA. In a survey of 4,000 people, it was found out that only nine percent of people finish the year having kept their New Year's resolution. Human nature, we are typically not good at commitment. Now, this is not a message to say you need to stick to your New Year's resolution. But definitely, let's not be like a guy that I read about recently by the name of Sam, not our Sam that's here tonight. But Sam wrote a love letter to his sweetheart, Betty, 
And he said this to Betty, I love you beyond words. Webster's Dictionary does not have the necessary vocabulary to explain the depth of my love for you. Thoughts of you dance across the portals of my mind. You are my all-consuming passion. So enraptured am I regarding my love for you that the Pacific Ocean would be like a pond if I had to swim it. I could do it as long as I knew you were awaiting me on the other shore. The heat of the Sahara Desert would never impede my progress to you, knowing that you would be the oasis that would refresh me when I arrived. There would be no inconvenience I wouldn't endure. Climbing Mount Everest would only seem like getting over an ant's hill if I knew you were at the precipice. All I'm simply saying to you, my darling, is that my love for you transcends time and space. Signed, Sam. P.S. I'll see you Saturday night if it doesn't rain. Enter Ruth. This is a tremendous illustration of the power of commitment. Commitment over difficulty. She knew what it was to lose a loved one. She was a young widow in the passing of Malon. She shows us the power of commitment over the departure of others. We see Orpah retreating to Moab. She demonstrates, Ruth does, the power of commitment over discouragement. Even as we listen to Naomi insist that the best course of action for her is to go back to Moab. We see her power of commitment over despair or hopelessness even as she doubles down in her resolve to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi, even if it means continued widowhood, even if it means childlessness. I want us to look at her life and briefly, in these two verses and a little bit of surrounding context, consider some factors that will help to strengthen our Christian commitment. The first is this, we need a determination that our lives are going to mirror the God of faithfulness. The God of faithfulness. One of the words that is uh, one of my favorite words in all the Old Testament, the Hebrew word chesed. I think we have a chesed here tonight, don't we? Is she here? Uh, the, the word that speaks of God's loving kindness, his covenant love, his unconditional faithfulness, no matter what the object does, his love remains steadfast. In fact, some translate the idea of steadfast love, faithfulness. And one of the foundational underpinnings of strong commitment as a Christian in our lives is that we determine that as God is faithful, I'm going to mirror his faithfulness. What had Ruth learned about God? We don't know all the details or how she learned it or when she learned it, but her actions are a testimony of some things that she had learned and believed. And let me just say this too, so are your actions and mine. If you really want to know what someone believes, don't put a bunch of stock in what they say. Put a bunch of stock in what they do. Because that's the reflection. I read a humorous quip. It was either C.H. Spurgeon or R.A. Torrey. Pardon me for not being able to remember the one, but I think it was one of those two. Said that if you want to, if you want to find out for sure how clear your Christian testimony is, 
Step into a person's home and ask the husband. Ask the wife. Ask the brother, the sister. Ask the children. Ask the dog. Ask the cat. That's exactly right. That's what he said. Ask the dog. Even how we treat animals. I'm not sure about the cat part, but... But what really strengthened Ruth's commitment was that she determined to mirror the faithfulness of God. By the way, that word kesed is not only used of the Lord in chapter number 1, but it's used of Ruth in chapter number 3. Boaz gave testimony to the fact that she mirrored that steadfast love of God. She had learned of a God that was faithful to draw a bitter woman named Naomi home again. Aren't you glad for the faithfulness of our God to chasten and to bring us home? She had learned of the faithfulness of God and how he had taken away a famine from his people and restored bread to Bethlehem Judah so that it could be a house of bread and praise again. She had seen the faithfulness of God even in Naomi's life and how God would fill a family void for Naomi, not replace Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, but fill the void so that the women of Bethlehem in chapter number 4 would testify of Ruth that she was better to Naomi than seven sons. Ruth had seen the faithfulness of God to welcome a stranger who wasn't of the people of Israel into the family and the fold of God. And when she saw that kind of faithfulness, it was her determination and her commitment to mirror that kind of faithfulness in her own relationships. Secondly, if we're to strengthen our Christian commitment in 2023, not only must we determine to mirror the God of faithfulness in our lives, but we also must remember the folly of the past. Or can I say the folly of Moab? One commentator I read in preparation for the message said that the decision that Orpah made to go back from a human perspective was very worldly wise. It made sense to the human mind. As you compared what was ahead from a human perspective for Ruth and Naomi going to Bethlehem Judah, their destitution, the fact that that. Ruth would be blacklisted and regularly, we'll see this throughout the book, called Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. So that the next of kin, the real, the closest next of kin, declined to marry her so that he would not mar his inheritance. So from a rationalistic perspective, Orpah made a wise choice. But I'm reminded of Israel in the wilderness longing to go back to Egypt because they remembered, the Bible tells us, the leeks and the melons and the garlic of Egypt. But how quickly we forget the slavery of Egypt. And apparently a battle went on in Ruth's mind and as she was facing the choice, seeing Orpah retreat back towards Moab, In Ruth's mind, she thought back to the religion of Molech. I would rather be in the wilderness 
with Jehovah Jireh than the wealth of Egypt to have it and leanness of soul. And so things that strengthen commitment, determination to mirror the God of faithfulness, remembering the folly of the past, a third factor that strengthens commitment is to envision by faith the fruit that God will give ahead. I love Psalm 27, 13, and 14. It's become a, a mainstay passage for me, particularly in the last couple of years. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you see that key word believe? It's faith. The, the implication is I look all around and things do not look good. But by faith, by faith, I know that God is good and his goodness never fails. It is forever. Wait, I say on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord, verse 14. Though we don't know all the details, by faith and trusting in a sovereign God, as it related to how their material needs were going to be met, as it related to whatever plans God might have for her in regards to a husband and a future home, Ruth put that in God's hands so that Boaz would bless her for coming to abide in trust under the shadow of God's wings. God is this wonderful combination of sovereign, good, and love. And anything that he does or allows in our lives has all three of those in full, complete harmony. So Naomi, or pardon me, Ruth could envision by faith the fruit that God had in store for her head, even though she didn't know it, all the details. She didn't know, but she knew the one who did. And so by faith, she envisioned fruit in the future, and it strengthened her commitment. Fourthly, our commitment is strengthened when we determine to live for others and the Lord instead of ourselves. These two verses are two of the most self-sacrificing verses in all the scripture. So self-sacrificing that many have taken them and had them sung at their wedding. When it's not the expression of a bride for a groom or a groom for a bride, it's the expression of a daughter-in-law for a mother-in-law. That should put to rest a lot of the in-law jokes that go around. But determining to live for others, Ruth tied her existence by this statement of commitment. She tied her existence up in Naomi and Naomi's God. We'll not take the time to turn there, but 1 John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter number 4 develop an interesting conclusion. John confronts people who say they love God, but they do not help to meet the needs of their brother, or they say they love God and hate their brother. And John says, uh-uh, if you love God, who you haven't seen, it's inconsistent for you to hate your brother who you have seen. The conclusion is this. The conclusion is, is if you love God, you will love your brother. Because that brother, among several other reasons, that brother or sister is made in the image of God. And therefore deserving of our love on God's behalf. 
But here's what else is interesting. You look at 1 John 3 and 4. Read it. Read it when you get a chance. John makes that famous statement in there. No man hath seen God at any time. He repeats what he had said back in John chapter number 1 of his gospel. No man hath seen God at any time. And as John puts these arguments of loving God and loving the brother together with the fact that no man hath seen God at any time, the implication, the conclusion that he draws from John's logic in those two chapters is this, is that one of the ways that God is made visible... The invisible God is made visible is when believers love each other. And not just believers, but when we love others, period. And so Ruth shows a determination to live for others. She absorbs herself in service of Naomi, in service of God. I want you to notice... The fifth factor that will strengthen commitment, and that is, and I'm just going to mention this in passing. Notice what Ruth says in verse number 16. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee. Don't stand against me in this. Or to return from, what's the word? Following after thee. This is part of her commitment to service. But I'll reiterate something we've said in preceding weeks, and that is this. Even though Naomi at this time was not being the best reflection of the steadfast, loving God, Ruth apparently made the choice, obviously made the choice, I'd rather have the God of Naomi even in her bitterness than I would the God of Molech. And so here she is following after. She says, listen, don't stop me from following you. And another factor that will help us to maintain strength in our Christian commitment is to follow the godly example of an older generation and of other believers. Remember those that have the rule over you, the author of Hebrews says, whose faith follow. And then in case somebody might say, and the author of Hebrews anticipated this, just in case somebody might say, but they're not perfect, that older generation, the the leaders God's put in my life. No, they're not perfect, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So follow the example of an older generation. It pains my heart. To see my generation and the younger generation under me on social media and other outlets throwing an older generation under the bus. When it comes to ministry, when it comes to the way things used to be done. Okay, I understand there were practices and philosophies that were for a particular generation in a time. But that is no cause to throw a previous generation under the bus. That previous generation fought battles that these younger generations will know nothing of in their own generation. In fact, they are living in relative peace in a certain sense because of battles that were fought by previous generations. And part of what strengthened Ruth's commitment, she said, listen, Naomi, don't stand in the way of my following you. I'm going to follow. Another factor that strengthens commitment is we understand or seek to understand better the power of Christian commitment, the impact that it can have in our circle of influence. And again, making the application of Ruth being a picture of the Gentile bride, the church, 
And that is for you and for me as New Testament saints, be all in for Jesus. Be all in for Jesus. I know it's kind of a colloquial way of saying it, but it's a very powerful and pointed way of saying it. Being all in for Jesus. Ruth is an illustration of that. She says, where you die, I'm going to die. In other words, even after they've buried you, if my life goes on after yours, I'm still not going back to Moab. I'm staying here because I love the God of this land and this people. And I'll be buried here as understood a proselyte because she said, your God will be my God, your people, my people. That's a great statement of faith. Many call that her statement of her public statement of conversion. She's echoing the words of God in the Old Testament when he said to the people of Israel, you will be my people and I will be your God. She's applying that in her own life. He's going to be my God and I'm going to be his person and I'm going to associate with his people. Being all in for Jesus. I read a cute story this past week. An usher was passing the offering plate in the church service And when he came to a little girl, seven, eight years old, she took the offering plate out of his hands and put it on the ground and stepped into the offering plate. And the usher was taken back and he said, sweetheart, what are you doing? That's for money. She said, well, I don't have any money. But our Sunday school teacher taught us today in class, this morning in the Sunday school class, that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God and it's what I had to give, so I'm giving him everything. final factor that I would mention to us that will help us as we look at Ruth's life, help us to strengthen our commitment, and that is this. Remind yourself often of what God has promised in his word, and then in faith, prove him. Remind yourself often of what God has promised in his word, and then prove him. You say, isn't it kind of presumptuous to prove God? Not if he told you to. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 10. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith and see whether or not I'll not open the windows of heaven and bless you. God says prove. Prove me. You say, well, how does that illustrate in Ruth's life? This is interesting. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse number 19, and Leviticus chapter 19 and verse number 9 are the two Old Testament passages of Scripture that establish the law of the gleaner. The destitute, the widow, the poor. And the law that allowed them to go into the harvest field and barley harvest and wheat harvest and glean grain so that even they in their destitution could have their needs met. And it is profound to me that... Ruth's first expression of action when they get back to Bethlehem is let me go glean in the fields. Do you see what she's doing? She knew what Moses had said. Somewhere or another, she had heard about that. I don't know if she and Naomi had talked about it on the way home. This is what God said in his word about how we'll be cared for. I don't know if maybe she had heard it in the years prior back in Moab as she learned more and more about the chesed love of God but how God made provision for those who were in need. And one of the ways that her commitment was strengthened is to find out what God had promised and put God to the test. One author I read said this, Naomi painted a future 
dark and black in chapter 1. But Ruth and faith took hold of her hand and walked through that dark veil into the promises of God. <laughs> the foundation of our commitment is to do our best to mirror the faithfulness of our God. And then this final thought, get this, is to just rest completely on his promises. Proving. <laughs> a little daughter came to her daddy. And she said, Daddy, may I have a nickel? And he dug in his pockets and didn't have a nickel. Felt his billfold. Pulled out his billfold to see if he had anything in there. All he had was a $20 bill. He thought for a moment, he thought, you know, sweetheart's been a good little girl lately. Can I trust her with this $20 bill? So he pulled that $20 bill out of his wallet and gave it to his daughter. And she goes, I want a nickel. He said, honey, this is a bunch of nickels. She said, it's a piece of paper. I want a nickel. He said, honey, that is $20. Every dollar has 20 nickels in it. I want a nickel. <laughs> honey, the total of this is 400 nickels. I want a nickel. I wonder how often we hold back the abundant blessing of God's hand because we insist on what we want instead of taking from him what he has to give. When we realize that we have a God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, <laughs> that'll strengthen your commitment. That'll allow you to take the, the hand of a bitter pessimist and walk through the veil of darkness into the promises of God. And get this, get this. And through Ruth's commitment, Naomi was transformed. Through Ruth's commitment, Boaz had a great need in his life supplied. Through Ruth's commitment, Bethlehem got to witness the continuation of the genealogy that would lead to King David, that would lead to King Jesus. Because Ruth said, I will go. And don't talk me out of this. Joshua would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In 1856, a slave from Virginia by the name of Henry Brown decided to take a huge risk. He had heard of a famous abolitionist in Philadelphia. He got this abolitionist's address in Philadelphia and prepared a crate just big enough that he could ball up in it and be sealed in the crate. And apparently with just a scant amount of provisions, and Henry Brown, the slave, took a tremendous risk, but in full trust that he would be cared for when he arrived in Philadelphia in a shipping crate, he had himself sealed in that box. Had it addressed to this famous abolitionist in Philadelphia... And was shipped like a package. 
three weeks later. The package arrived on the front step of this abolitionist. I have no idea what would have gone through his mind. As he got a hammer and a pry bar and popped the top off that crate, and Henry Brown stood up and, according to the story, said, Hello, sir, how do you do? He took a huge risk based on the reputation of that man in Philadelphia. What a picture of commitment. Now the world says to us, you live in full commitment to Christ and it will result in bondage. Wrong. Yes, there's risk involved in commitment to Christ. Yes, there is faith involved. But when we consider the faithfulness of our God and His covenant-keeping, keeping promise-keeping ability and character, that risk and that commitment as a believer does not lead to bondage, but it leads, just like it did in Henry Brown's case, it leads to freedom. And so, believers, I ask us, wherever you are in your Christian life, will you, at the threshold of 2023, do as root and embrace the power and the potential of commitment to Christ in everyday life, trusting God for the profound impact that it can have all around you, even as we see Ruth's commitment transforming a city transforming lives. Or to use the illustration of Henry Brown, why don't you just package yourself up in a one-way crate that's stamped not returnable to the sender and address it to the perfect will of God. And when he opens up the crate, stand up and say, here am I, Lord, do with me as you please. Father, Thank you for the freedom that comes in commitment to you. I thank you for the impact that is had on others around us when we do. We think about how 3,000 plus years later, we are still being impacted by Ruth's commitment. Our lives are shaped eternally because through Ruth would come King David, through whom would come the Lord Jesus Christ who because of him, all of us that know him as Savior, our lives have been transformed. And those who don't know him as Savior can be transformed because of Jesus, the light of the world. And so, God, we draw strength from these factors that we've seen illustrated in Ruth's life. And I pray that 2023 would be a year of deepened Christian commitment for all of us in our daily lives in our surrender, our willingness to do whatever is asked of us as it relates to our time, to our talents, as it relates to our ministry, our teamwork as a church, whatever it is, I pray that we would model the Ruth that we read about here in this passage. And above that, that we would model the Lord Jesus Christ.
who set aside his rights and privileges at the right hand of the Father to be made of no reputation to come and be our servant, our sin-bearing substitute. Because of him, may we remember that we do not live to ourselves, but we should live for him that died for us and rose again. And I pray all these things for his glory. Amen.